Welcome to Dog Backwards. I should have been on the radio. I got a face for radio. Today we talk about, is there a God? Seems like a simple question, and guess what? It's got a simple answer. Yes. I'll explain why. Let's get started. We're going to have fun. When I was a youth pastor many years ago, I would take my kids to a church camp and I ran into a middle school boy one time who had a anarchist wristband on his arm. So it had a little A anarchist symbol and I just was curious. So I asked him some questions and I said, hey, is that the uh, symbol of anarchy? He says, yes. I says, do you believe that? He goes, yes. I says, what does it mean? He says, well, I kind of think it means that there are no rules and I think there should be no rules. I said, okay, so is the first rule that there should be no rules? And he goes, yeah, that's what we believe. I says, do you see the contradiction in that, that you don't have any rules, so the first rule is there are no rules. It's kind of self-contradicting. And he just stared at me and didn't want to talk to me anymore. And of course, I that's kind of picking on a middle schooler boy who essentially wears it because it makes him feel cool. Like it makes you feel cool to be like, yeah, you know, I'm re- I'm a rebel, I'm an anarchist. Why do I tell this story? Because today we are talking about atheism and is there a God? This is uh, kind of part one of some apologetics that I want to do, and this is how I feel about atheism. I feel like atheism, 99.9% of the time, is a label people attach to themselves to make them feel cool. If you've ever wanted to know, hey, how could I argue with this atheist online? The best answer I can give you is don't do it. Most atheists who want to argue online wear this name as a badge to show how cool and rebellious they are and to make their daddy or mommy mad. They are not truly atheists. They're just people who want to argue and they think it's cool to show that, hey, I'm smarter than you. I don't believe in anything and... You know, I don't need your religion because I'm free from these shackles. And I say that in a mocking tone because sometimes it's okay to mock things worth mocking. And there are times where it's okay to mock atheism. And then there are some times where there are people with real serious intellectual questions and doubts and they want to struggle with it. So I want to do my best today to maybe give you just a little bit on how I would respond Now, there is a huge amount of books. This debate on whether or not God exists has been going on for a long, long time. And there's nothing new that I can add, but maybe there's some things that I can remove that might be helpful and might not help you feel overwhelmed when you uh, approach this subject. So, first, the question is, is there a God? Of course there's a God. Of course there's a God. Why do I say that so assuredly? Well, beyond the reasons that I'm about to give you, um, because stuff exists. <laughs> no, that's, that's hard to imagine, but if you look around you, there are things. Everything that you can see around you has been made, right? So I'm talking into a microphone that's being recorded by a computer, and none of us would go, it's incredible that that computer evolved, right? That computer started off, now there is an evolution of computers, all done by intelligent beings who took one part, made it a little bit more complex, made it a little bit more complex, and eventually that complexity developed into the wonderful Mac computer that I have in front of me. Never trust anything but a Mac. I am a paid representative. No, I'm not. Um, And so when we look at the universe, we know a couple of facts to be true, that the universe had a beginning. Anything that begins to exist has been created, therefore the universe was created. 
that's pretty simple. Now, some people will say the, the most common obje- objection is, well, uh, if everything's been created, then who created God? But listen carefully to what I said. Everything that begins to exist has a creator. So God, the very definition of, is a being who did not come into existence, but in fact exists outside of time and space. Science tells us, or so they, I think they do, because this is one of the problems with these conversations. A lot of times an atheist can quote a whole bunch of scientists, and because you are not a scientist with your PhD in biology and astro whatever it is, right, you don't know. And so you get intimidated by their list of scholars, so you go back and you get your list of scholars, which you claim to slightly understand, but for the most part you don't. I did never do well in science, so though I could regurgitate some facts that I have heard, I don't really have the capacity or the education to tell you if these facts are true or not. So we could kind of compare what people say, but I want to give you some things that are are, are quite obvious that you don't have to have a science degree to show that God does exist. We do know that time, space, and matter comes into existence. It seems to be at the exact same time. We know this uh, typically is called the Big Bang. And most, uh, everybody, religious and non-religious, believe in the Big Bang. It's kind of been the standard operating theory. And though attempts have been made to come up with different theories that would remove the chance for God, one of those is the multiverse theory, which has uh, kind of waned in its popularity because all it does is create just more problems because it essentially says that, oh, there's a whole bunch of different universes and we just happen to live in this and there's all these different um, multiple universes that exist on different planes of different realities. It's hard to understand and I can see why it was attractive for a while. We don't seem to think that that's actually going to pan out and it seems like the Big Bang is still the most reliable uh, explanation for why the universe exists. Now in the Big Bang, time, space, and matter all come into existence at the same time. This means whatever caused it exists outside of time, space, and matter. That is really hard for us to understand. What is it like outside of time? (laughs) You don't. Yeah. So give yourself a headache and just try to imagine what time would look like if you could flip through it like a book, turning the page to the beginning or end anytime you wanted and you could hold it in your hand, right? So this is what we talk about when we talk about God. So if you want to say... What, um, who created God? Well, terms like created exist within a time paradigm. So where you're thinking of like beginning, middle, and end. But there's no need to be created if you exist outside of time. This is what God does. God exists outside of time, space, and matter. You have to if you are going to create time, space, and matter. So that is not the easy one, thankfully. That is not the easy explanation for how do we know that a God exists. The way we can explain that there is a God and that atheism is false and is a pseudo-intellectual escape from having to deal with the realities that we face in life every day, I'll give you later on at the end of this the, the good reason uh, I've heard for atheism. The, the only one that I... The easiest way that I address 
this issue with somebody who is sincerely struggling with whether or not they should believe in a God. Maybe they watch some YouTube videos and they think they're an atheist now or they're leaning that way and science can explain everything and they're just going that route and they want to know why I actually think a God exists. I just ask them, how much does the number four weigh? And if they look confused, then I help clarify by asking, what color is the number eight? And then they stare at you even more. And that gives me a chance to explain that there is certain things that are immaterial that exist in our universe. Now, if there are immaterial things that are true all over the place, then that points to there being an immaterial God, right? So that means there is something beyond the material world. If you are an atheist, by default, you tend to be a naturalist. And a naturalist is somebody who believes the natural world is all that there is. There is nothing supernatural. There is nothing that is non-material. So this mathematics, think, think of two plus two. Is two plus two, how much does that equation weigh? What color is it, of course? But then you can take that further and say, is two plus two going to be the same tomorrow as it was yesterday? And yes, of course it is. What about in China? Is two plus two in China the same as two plus two in the US? Yes, of course it's gonna be. So that means that math and numbers is immaterial. It doesn't exist in the material world. You can't wait, it doesn't have a color. That it's unchanging, that over time, two plus two is never going to be five because it will always be four. It's as though there's some kind of immaterial law guiding mathematics. Right, And it's uh, uh, universal. So no matter where you go, in the United States, different countries, 2 plus 2 is always going to be 4. So we have something that our whole world operates on, the laws of mathematics. The laws of mathematics is how we do science, it's how we understand our universe. It is the language of the universe. The language, if the universe could speak, it would speak in mathematics because that is how we understand and express everything that is happening in our universe through formulas of mathematics. Now, if that was not, if there was no God, then this would be something that we created, not something we discovered. Okay, this is important. So if we created mathematics, that means the United States or you know uh, the indigenous people here would have created a system of counting and it would have been totally different to different systems of counting. In some places of the world, two plus two would equal 835,000, who knows, right? But we notice that there is this universal code that isn't something we created, but instead it's something we discovered. It's the way the universe works and we're learning to speak this language, right? Are you following with me so far? So we have this language that is true no matter where in time or space that you go, but it is not material. That means it's immaterial, universal, and unchanging. What is the best explanation for that? Well, the best explanation for something that's immaterial, universal, and unchanging is something else that is universal, immaterial, and unchanging. That means something... You can take this whole idea and take it a little bit further. So just our ability to reason... Now, there's not much reasoning going on in the world today. People are talking over each other and not to each other. But let's not forget there are laws of logic and laws of reasoning. So the, there are several laws of logic. You can Google them. I'm trying not to get very technical in this conversation because I want to keep this as ground level as possible. But um, if somebody was to say, 
there is no God and they wanted me to respond, if I was to respond, oh yeah, well, the blue butterfly elephant refrigerator, and then I claim that was a good answer, they would be upset. They're like, well, that makes no sense. That is not a reasonable response. Well, what is reasoning? Why are there laws of logic? Where do these laws of logic come from? Why do they assume I have to operate according to their law of logic? If there is no God, I just create my own law of logic. If there is no God, then I just create my own truth. And if I feel like, well, hey, that's a, that's a really good answer, the boob butterfly refrigerator, right? That's a brilliant answer, and that solved all my questions about whether or not there was a God. They are not going to be satisfied with that response. Why? Because they believe in the laws of logic. So you just ask, why do you believe in the laws of logic? How much do they weigh? What color are they? So now you see where I'm going with that. So even when an atheist wants to have a conversation, like, you know, all the time they say, well, we believe in reason and logic and believers are illogical. They don't even know why they believe in logic. If you want, if you want to hear something crazy, so oftentimes when I'm in these conversations, I, I had a debate many years ago with the president of the Freethinker Society of New York, and we were talking about this. And I just kept saying, what is your foundation for logic? And he said, they're axiomatic. If you don't know what that word means, it just means they're necessary beginning points and I can't explain where they come from. But then he would base his entire argument upon the laws of logic and reasoning, saying, you know, this means this and this stands for that. And I'm like, wait, 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 you just told me your basis for believing in logic is a leap of faith. You say, you don't know where they come from. You don't know why they work. You don't know why they exist. And all I'm asking you to do is consider, (laughs) because they scold us for having faith. I can't believe you have faith. You have faith in these axiomatic, these foundational laws of logic, but you can't explain where they come from. So what's wrong if I say, look, we have an immaterial, unchanging, universal law. It's called the law of logic right? The the, the law of non-contradiction, the law of the excluded middle. We have these laws that we all operate by on a daily basis. We all use logic all the time, every day. Today, you hopefully use logic a lot and you think through things. You're like, well, I could do this, I could do this, but this makes... So you're using these kind of logical thinking tools and it's a good question to ask, where do they come from? These are things we presuppose. So this line of argument is called presuppositional apologetics. Uh, Greg Bonson is a a, a big, um, he's not the founder of this kind of thinking. Cornelius Van Til is one of the people who came up with it, but Greg Bonson was a huge proponent of presuppositional apologetics. So he would go into debates with atheists, and you can find a few on YouTube. He he passed away way too early. Uh, Doug Wilson does a great job with presuppositional apologetics, uh, and you can find one of his debates on YouTube. And it's, uh, I could, it's uh, Dan Barker is the one he does it with. And Dan Barker is like left just going, I, I, I don't know what to do. Because he's like, well, what about all the evidence? And he's just saying, look, you want evidence, and I want to say, why does proving anything prove anything? See, atheists are going to say they believe in logic and they believe in reasoning, and then we try to play that game with them and like, well, here's all our evidence, right? right? But what I think is even more helpful than any single one of you can do is just ask, why do you believe the laws of logic are binding on me? Like, why are your laws of logic? Because if they are created instead of discovered, 
Remember that. If they are created instead of discovered, then they are created in the minds of individuals and individual minds differ. So therefore, each one of us could have our own different law of logic and different laws of mathematics. Turns out I never failed a math test. I just have different laws of mathematics. <laughs> and, uh, but we know, even though our minds differ, that there are these laws that govern all of us. And if somebody's going to deny that, then there's really no point in having a continued conversation. And so all I want to propose is, is there a God? Yes. Or else we have no laws of logic, no laws of reasoning, and no laws of morality. Now, I put morality at the end because that's the one that gets mostly contested, and people want to go into all these different moral philosophies, which is fine if you're game for that. Uh, sometimes that gets kind of boring. Um, but when it comes to reasoning, we all understand that. When it comes to logic, we all know when somebody's illogical. And this has even further implications. If there was no God, then if somebody was to act illogical, or um, we couldn't actually say it was wrong. We would just say, well, their brain chemistry is different. They just have, the way their atoms bang around inside their body, right? The chemical reactions that spark the neurons inside their brain, that's just, that's just what happens to them. And there's nothing right or wrong about it. They just differ. But because there are these laws that govern the universe, we're able to look at somebody who might be a sociopath and say, hey, um, the morality that you have created for yourself is wrong, and it's only absolutely wrong if there is an absolute law of morality. Now, this could sound, if this is your first introduction to apologetics, if this is the very first time you've ever heard anything about apologetics, A, do two things. Go tell your pastor he needs to teach on apologetics more. We just don't do it. And I'm amazed when I go to these churches and I see, I was at a church of 100 plus kids and I like apologetics, like they don't even bring their Bible. Why do they care about apologetics? And guess what's going to happen when they leave that church? One atheist in college or a professor is going to say something that's difficult for them and it's going to collapse. Their whole faith, like, I guess I've been lied to my whole life because they've never been given any tools to engage with this. Scripture commands us to always be ready to give a defense for the hope that we have in God. And the, the word defense is the apologia in the Greek, and that's where apologetics comes from. It just means somebody, it's not a title, it's a responsibility that each one of us carries. So is there a God? Absolutely. A, because things exist. Things exist. Things don't exist without a creator. There's the, the old story about uh, this goes back way back to the early apologetic days, the blind watchmaker. And um, if, if you were in a field and you looked down and you found a watch, right, and you saw all the different hands and the precision that went into making that, you would never see that and just think it happened to happen. Like, that. oh, that just, that evolved there. That just cr was created. Our, our universe is far more complex than a watch, there is, imagine all these little dials. Each one has to be turned just right in order for human life to exist on earth. N now, there's literally tens of thousands of these dials. And if one of them is off just a little bit, the, the whole thing collapses. And not only do these things have to be turned, but they have to be maintained. So it has to uh, stay the way it is or else everything collapses. There's no life on earth. There's no life anywhere. And so the fine-tuning of the universe is an argument you can look into, but for the lay people, for the first time hearing apologetics, just look, if there's a sandwich, you made it. <laughs> if there's a universe, somebody created it. We don't see anything pop into existence. 
right? Have you ever been driving down the street and a horse just burst into existence out of nowhere? No, it came from somewhere. That horse had parents, and then that horse had parents, and that horse had parents, and eventually you're going to get so far back, you're going to say, well, where did the first parents come from? Where did the first, you know, they, one thing that um, I always struggled with when I was growing up is the idea that um, like life just formed on the earth, and it, but it needed these essential beginning blocks, and it needed the right environment for that to happen. I'm like, well, where did those things come from? Well, they, well, they just appeared, or they needed these chemicals in order for them to be created. Where would those chemicals come from? So there's always a sense like stuff comes from somewhere. What, what's really interesting is the links people go to just to avoid the fact that there is something outside of us. Most people believe that there is a God, and a little bit later on um, in the next couple of podcasts, we'll look at, okay, so there is something. How do we know anything about this? right? So there is a God, and I think we can start there. And if somebody who's going to reject that idea, they're also rejecting the laws of logic, the laws of mathematics, and the idea that uh, the things around us, the universe, did not need to be created, that it just came into being out of nowhere. But if all time, space, and matter popped into existence at the Big Bang, then I think it's fair to say the same thing that Genesis 1 says, And God said, let there be light, right? And everything happens. So uh, don't fall into the trap of thinking you need to know all these different things about science and biology and mathematics in order to have a conversation with somebody at work. Now, you might run into the, the armchair atheist who's read every book on atheism that's come out and is a big fan, right? Like, it's just a big fan of atheism and listens to all the podcasts, they might be able to just like throw all this stuff at you. You're like, look, I don't know. But um, if you want me to have a reasonable conversation, you have to explain to me why reason is universal and doesn't just apply to you, but applies to all of us. And there you go, right? So like you, this is before we get to proving anything, explain to me why proving something actually proves something. Now that, that sounds like a tongue twister and a little bit of a mind bender, but if you slow it down, you say, well, if I was to prove this to you, why are proofs valuable? Why are proving things valuable? If we're all just chemical reactions trapped inside these bags of skin and bones and mostly water, why would this ever matter? The, the truth is, without God, you are nothing more than a complex chemical reaction. So imagine you have two sodas, a Mountain Dew and a Dr. Pepper, and you were to shake them up. And then all of a sudden, you open them up at the same time, what's going to happen? They're going to fizz, right? And you never look and say, well, which one is fizzing the truth? Neither of them. Like, if you put them in a room together, you wouldn't say, which one of these sodas is winning the debate? Neither. Because all they are doing is complex chemical reactions interacting with their environment. Well, if there's no God, that's all you are. You're a complex chemical reaction interacting with your environment. Think of your body like a computer. Your DNA is the program and the experiences that you have in life are the keyboard. So you have like input and it interacts with your DNA and it tells your computer how to act. Here's how you respond in a stressful situation because this is how your DNA has programmed you to respond. So if there is no God, I can't help but to believe that there is a God because that's merely how my DNA has programmed me. Without God, you lose free will. There is no free will. 
And some of the top atheists right now have gotten to that point where they will admit that openly. And surprise, surprise, a lots of people are no longer listening to these people because it's absurd. A, how could they know that if they have no free will, but to think that they have no free will. So it, it becomes a mind bender pretty quick. But I think if you listen to that a couple of times, you can understand what I'm saying because it's not that complex uh, to say, but it's a complex idea. So if you are, it's like your, your dog, right? So you can train your dogs to do certain things and they just have this chemical reaction inside their brain. There's a treat, I'm going to eat it even though I'm not hungry because that's what my instincts tell me to do. If there's no God, you are just got highly evolved instincts and you don't have free will to act that way. You've just been trained by your DNA and your programming to act that way. So even in order to have a conversation, people have to have free will to have that conversation. You don't get free will without God. In order to have the conversation about whether or not there is a God, you have to use reasoning and logic. You don't have universal laws of reason and logic unless you have God. You don't get a universe to have that conversation in unless there's a creator of that universe. So there is a God, period, end of sentence. Now, this leads people away from atheism and into something called agnosticism, which is, okay, there is a God, but can I actually know anything about him? Like maybe he created everything, set things in motion, he's removed his hands. And we will look into that question next week. I did say that there is one good argument that there is no God. Well, it's not a good argument, but it is the one that has the most merit and weight and is hardest to deal with because it is not on a rational level. It happens on a very emotional level. So um, Richard Dawkins is talking about if there was a God, how come he's not in the cancer wards at a children's hospital? So what he's saying is the problem of evil. The problem of evil makes it hard for him to believe that there is a God. And that one, I think, is just powerful because when people bring up that stuff, like, it's just weighty. I I mean, I've been in children's hospitals with people with cancers. Like, I've been in that room, and I understand that it can be hard to go, God, where are you? I know you could stop this. Why don't you stop it all? And so, what what is the response to this? And I had this conversation with Seth Andrews in our Christian Atheist debate, and we covered this subject. So, um, if there is a God, is he even good if he allows this stuff to happen? So we know cancer is not how the body is designed to function. It is an invasion of a healthy body. These cancer cells are freaking out. They're expanding at a fast rate. They are malfunctioning, right? So Christians believe in a broken world where things don't necessarily act the way they should, including our bodies and diseases. Our bodies should not age and die the way that they do. Because we live in a broken world, that is what happens. So God could stop this, right? He could stop any kind of pain or suffering. So we want him to stop cancer in children. But then would we be satisfied with that? And somebody's like, well, of course, yeah. No, no, I mean, you say, yeah, I'd be satisfied with that. You still probably wouldn't believe because there's other problems of evil. What about murder? What about school shootings? Could God stop those? Yes. What, what about the distracted driver who crashes into somebody who's jaywalking? Does he stop the person jaywalking or does he stop the, the distracted driver? Well, they're both wrong, so he should stop those, both of those evils. What about the person that's just having evil thoughts? Well, evil thoughts eventually uh, find their way out, and they might not be in the way you were thinking about it, but they might come out as anger or frustration. Um, but you never do something you haven't thought about first. 
So all of a sudden, they're asking God to remove all free will from all human beings. And only then would they be happy that there is no problem with evil. But then God turns us into robots, doesn't he? If God removes all free will, aren't we robots? If God was to stop me from any wrong I've ever done, and I've done plenty of wrong, he would be intervening in my life constantly. And I would only be allowed to do good things, not because I'm good, but because I have been forced to be good. Well, then it's no longer good, right? Like if you're forced to do it, it's like somebody, you force them to give to charity, they're not being charitable. So uh, this is the problem with evil. Uh, Beside the fact is there is no evil without God, right? We talked about how human beings, if there is no God, are just chemical reactions. So if somebody goes and shoots up a school, well, they're not necessarily doing anything evil. Their morality might not fit your morality. But since morality is not universally binding, since there are no universal absolute laws of morality where things like murder are always wrong, and in Christianity, murder is always wrong, right? Um, how do you call it evil? It's, it might be socially awkward. So in atheism, a school shooting is on the same level as somebody who farts on the subway. <laughs> I always love that analogy. It's no different because it's just socially unacceptable. And in atheism, the laws of morality are just social constructs that people have brought together to try to work together to have a better life and live longer and reproduce because reproducing is really the only existence of mammals, right? According to atheism. And so if somebody was to go in and shoot a bunch of people, oh, they say, well, they're going to say it's terrible and they're going to be mad. They're going to blame God for it. But why is it evil? The words like good and evil don't exist in atheism. If they do, they're just that person's decided upon. There's no reason to decide upon it. Like they've just chosen to say, okay, this is my morality and I think everybody should have it. That's fine. You can have your morality and think everybody else should share it, but it's not binding on anybody. And there are no ultimate forms of justice um, repercussions for people who act that way. So in atheism, since morality is something that's created, not something that's discovered, see how that keeps coming back and forth? Are these laws of logic, mathematics, reasoning, and morality, are they laws that are created? Or are they laws that we discover, right? Are they laws that we create in our minds socially? Or are they laws that we socially discover together and like, oh, you know what? It's bad to kill people. We shouldn't do that, right? We should love our neighbor. What a coincidence. So that is the hardest one to deal with. It's not that there are not good responses to it. There's really good responses to it. But man, they pack, they pack the emotional punch, right? It's like interviewing the crying mom on the news. You don't know if what happened. You don't know all about the story, but you just go, that shouldn't have happened. That's bad, right? Like, so it pulls on the heart springs, the heartstrings more than the mind. Uh, that argument does. So I always am very sympathetic. I'm like, yeah, look, The morality one is one I would like to talk about, but first let's back up and let's go to these things that we're all presupposing before we even have a conversation. And if you don't know what presupposing means, so if I'm going to presuppose something, it means before I even talk, I I have a belief that words and language make sense to the person that's going to hear me, right? I'm assuming you speak English. So I'm presupposing the idea that everybody that listens to this podcast speaks English. Now, that seems like a no-brainer, but it is an assumption that I have. 
And so in any conversation, there are things that we assume before we have that conversation. An atheist can't explain the assumptions that he has before he enters into a conversation with you. I can explain them. And it's a rational, binding, unchanging explanation, right? The God that I believe in fits in perfectly with what we see and how we operate in everyday life when it comes to math, logic, morality. They match. So we'll get into that a little bit later on. Thank you for listening, and um, I hope you enjoyed that. If you have any questions, you're free to contact me. You can go to calebmore.tv and email me. Uh, I respond to as many as I can. I get a number of them in. And thank you to all those that are in the UK and listening. That's pretty cool. I've gotten a couple of emails over the last couple of weeks. I know this podcast is hit or miss, and it will always be that. It will always be that. If you're looking for me to jump in on situations that are like social, and I don't know why you would, like there's not enough people commenting on everything that happens every five minutes, right? If there's not, it's just not going to happen. You want to know why? Because I have a life. I have three wonderful boys. I have an amazing wife. And all of us, it's so tempting, especially if you do a podcast and you start getting traction. You're like, I got to feed the machine. I got to feed the machine. I got to keep it growing. I got to get it bigger. I got to make it better. I'm, I want to resist that urge in everything I do. I just like, look, if I have something to say, I'll say it. If I think this is helpful to somebody, I'll try to say it. Frankly, half the time, I'd much rather talk about what's the deal with Sony and Marvel breaking up on their agreement with Spider-Man. Like, if you're not, if you're a praying person, could you pray that Marvel gets the rights back to Spider-Man? Because I don't know what we're going to do if Sony does it again. We're going to get emo Spider-Man again. I don't like you, Andrew Garfield, and I'll say that publicly. As Spider-Man, you're probably an okay person. Okay, so thanks for listening, guys. We'll talk to you later.